Well, welcome to those of you over in the modern service as you join us this morning for the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Joshua chapter 7, I invite you to turn there as we um, gather together to encounter God, to worship Him this morning, and we do that through His Word, and Joshua chapter 7 is the next stop in our series in this book and in this story of a man named Joshua, but really the story of the people of God is a as God moves them through their fears and God moves them to the place where he wants them to be. And that story of Ryan Lotke, everything was going really, really well in the Olympics, wasn't it? Until that very last week, till this guy comes up with a plan to try and cover himself after a really bad night out on the town. And what was so amazing about that is um, as time goes on, the worse and worse this thing got, and what was relatively just a simple lie, where he could have come back and said, I didn't tell the truth, here's the true story, and we could have moved on. Instead, it turns out into really an incident that brought shame upon the United States Olympic Committee. On the United States, because, you know, those ugly Americans, as we're called, we had to deal with that again. And then him and his family, I heard even this week, he was still uh, suffering from the consequences of just simply one simple thing that had a ripple effect and caused a lot of damage. And this is what we're going to see in Joshua chapter 7 this morning. And this is a, a serious passage. This is a sobering passage because it really reminds us that we are incredibly vulnerable when it comes to our sins. We are vulnerable to fall. We are vulnerable to sin, and we do it regularly. But it also does this. It brings into clear focus the holiness of God. And so what I need you to do is this. I need you to grab your, your Bible. I need you to, um, if you don't have one in this room, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you. So every single person needs to have a Bible in front of you. And then um, in that room there, if you need a hard copy of the Word of God, we have some. Our deacons will be looking around. If you need one, we got one we can give to you. That will be our gift to you over in the modern service. And then uh, if you have a digital device, you want to turn that on to Joshua chapter 7, that's certainly fine. But I want to read this story because the words are, are powerful and it's an amazing story of where God comes in and deals with one man's sin and the effect that it had on the entire nation of Israel and really the effect that it would have on the mission of the people of God. So let's begin this morning in Joshua chapter 7. Let's just read the very first verse which serves as a heading, which serves really as the title for this story. And it says this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Notice what's repeated there. Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against his own people. And if I had to put a heading on our very first thought, and as we make our way, we need to understand something here, it is this, if you're taking notes. 
association with God doesn't allow you to compromise the holiness of God. Association with God doesn't allow you to compromise the holiness of God. So here's what we see in this, in this very first sentence, in this very first paragraph that heads this story. In Joshua chapter 6, Jericho, the walls come, come down. And we left, our, left the Israelites last week marching around the walls. And on the seventh lap, God said that the walls would cave in on them, and it, and it did. But then over in 17, this is what we didn't see last week. Joshua had given them some orders, and read it with me. So turn, uh, scroll up or turn over or uh, lift your eyes up to verse 17 of Joshua chapter 6. Read it with me here. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers when, whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destructions, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord." Down to verse 21. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Okay, so here, here is how this helps us in 7-1 and helps us for the rest of the story. God looked at the people of Canaan, and in particular to the cities where the people were going to go in. And there were certain cities that Joshua was commanded to go in and wipe out everything. Because the possessions and the people inside the city, God recognized them as being devoted or set apart to the gods of the Canaanites and to the sins of the people. So there's no association of God's holiness with the Canaanites, with these people groups that are inside the land as they cross over. So God makes it very clear, when the walls come down, you make that seventh lap, the walls come down, you go in, and the silver and the gold, it goes into the treasury, but everything else, people, possessions, animals, everything, you destroy. Why? Wow, that sounds harsh. And it is. But God does this not only because he is holy and he's punishing sin. Because you see, the Canaanites were an incredibly sinful people. Not only were they idolatrous, not only did they worship these other gods, but their culture was totally depraved. In Scripture, when it describes the Canaanite culture, it describes it in terms of sexual immorality. There's incest, and there's bestiality, and there's homosexuality, and there's adultery. There's all of these things that just defile the people before God. And, and, and so their idolatry and their, their culture causes these people to be 
to be looked at by God as in need of, of, of great correction, in need of great punishment, and in need of, uh, of judgment because they have violated his holiness. And God knows this, the material possessions are uh, an attraction to the people of Israel. So they've been wandering around for 40 years, and so as they come into the new land and they see these material possessions, it's just simply an attraction, it's an allure that will cause them to move down a path towards the cultural immorality, towards the spiritual idolatry. So the material possessions are to be destroyed because they will lead to them just being immersed in the culture and them, be, them being immersed in idolatry. So here's what God is doing. I am a holy God, Joshua. And those, those sins have caused those people to be punished but I want to protect you. This is what God's holiness does. It not only punishes, but it guards us. I know, I know what your temptation is going to be, Israel, and you're going to want to slide down that scale ultimately in idolatry. And so God says, I want you to destroy everything. But verse 1, so I say all that to say, verse 1, someone broke faith. It says Israel broke God's trust and God's faith in them to be holy and one man did it and now that last word those last words there of that very first paragraph are very very clear what does God think of his holiness being violated not only by the Canaanites but now but now his holiness is being violated by the people of God and it doesn't say that his anger burned against the Canaanites because they tripped the people of God up. His anger burned against his own people because why? Because he is a holy God. And association with God, with church, with morality, doesn't mean that you can compromise the holiness of God. It doesn't mean that there are margins and there are edges that we can violate and that we can be disobedient against God and him not respond to us. And in our culture, here's what has happened. In our culture, we're just like the nation of Israel, okay, in the mindset that culture that we're going into it is depraved, it's, more, it's immoral, we don't want to be like them. And what if we're not careful, here's what, here's what happens. The holiness of God is reserved for them. But we forget that the holiness of God is for us to reflect him. And when we say that we know him and love him, but we don't reflect him, then his holiness is violated. And, and, and God looks at us now not as those that stand apart from the Canaanites, apart from our culture, but now God looks at us like we are, sinners. That we have violated, that we've rebelled against God's commandments in some way, God's heart in some way, the grace that we sing about, the grace that we... That, that we have been given freely that grace. I wonder, I wonder if the American church recognizes grace as awfully, awfully cheap. And so this chapter 
wakes us up, and it wakes Joshua up. Look at what happens here in verses 2 through 9. Here is um, the, the heading in verse 1, now verse 2. Here's kind of what precedes all of this. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, read with me, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people, listen, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So fear begins to set in now because they've been defeated. Now verse 6, then Joshua, look at this, tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? All right, now Joshua isn't fully clear as to what's happening here. But here's the second thought this morning. Defeat gets your attention in ways that a victory never would. Defeat gets your attention in ways that a victory never would. Now, Joshua is going to wade into, into the association of, of one of uh, the people of God with the, the things of the Canaanites. He's not there, quite there yet, but defeat gets his attention. And notice right before the Lord explains to Joshua, this is what's going to happen. Notice the desperation of Joshua. Notice the fear in his heart. He, he lays down. Can you imagine this scene? He lays down on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. He's just laying, and, and he tears his clothes, and he's there for hours upon hours, and, and they take dust and the elders, and they put it on their head. I mean, this should tell you just how afraid and how desperate Joshua is. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been that desperate where all you can do is just fall on your face before God and weep? What an amazing scene. I mean, for me, this just, as I read this, it just sets the tone right away. This, Joshua is desperate. Because here's what he understands. That they have been defeated. And the defeat has his attention. But his fear is that God would not go with them. His fear is that they're going to go in this alone. This fe his fear is that the enemies of Israel are going to rout him. I mean, if this little community of Ai, this little village of Ai could rout 
the people of Israel, then how in the world are the bigger people groups ahead going to, how are they going to be able to withstand against him? And there is incredible fear in the mind and in the heart of the people because God has been so faithful and God has been so good, but now they're devastated. And sometimes devastation and sometimes loss teaches us lessons that victory could never teach us. I remember 9-11 as we celebrate the 15th anniversary today of that remarkable day. And I'll never forget as we talked around the table this past week and grandma and grandpa were there and our kids were there and we were talking about where were you? This will be the, the question will be asked, my generation, where were you? on 9-11, and we, we talked about that, but I'll never forget walking into our church, Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the place was completely full. I mean, wall-to-wall people. I remember going down the aisle looking for a seat, sitting on the very, very edge of the, of the uh, worship center in there, and our, our pastor at the time was stuck overseas. He couldn't get back over, and so one of the assistant pastors had to lead a service where really we, we were just crying out to the Lord, and we were asking God for his protection and his guidance. And Do you remember the uncertainty of those days? Do you remember the fear of those days? But here's where Joshua is, and maybe this is where you are this morning. And as we pivot now, let, let me make it very, very clear here. The fear that comes about in the life of Joshua is caused by sin. And we're going to walk through that, but let me be clear. Let me be clear. Not everything because you're desperate is caused by sin. It could be. It, it, it very well could be. This text for today could fit where you are in your life as you deal with fear and as you deal with desperation, as you deal with uncertainty. It could. It could. But, but I want to make myself abundantly clear here. Sometimes desperation isn't caused by sin. It's just caused by the way God is working and God is moving and God is leading and you're stepping out in faith. We've seen that over the last few weeks. But in this case, Joshua chapter 7, sin is the issue. Let's read about it in verses 10 through 15. Follow along with me. You have your place? Here we go. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Here it is, verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Look at this next line right here. Here's the, here's the toughest line of the whole paragraph, I think. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. 
In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. Now watch this. Here's the process, and they're going to find out how this thing works. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot, so they cast lots or, or die, or the priests would have stones on their vests, and the stones would indicate uh, who is to be chosen. So they're going to go through this process. Look at it, verse 14. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Here's the third thought this morning as we keep moving through the text here. The ripple effects of sin are far-reaching and deeply damaging. The ripple effects of sin are far-reaching and deeply damaging. So here's what God tells Joshua. Joshua Israel has sinned. You notice how throughout the text, Israel has broken faith. Israel has sinned. And because of that, Israel will be condemned. And you got to be thinking to yourself, now wait, now wait a second. Not all Israel did this. It was only one man that we know of. His name is Achan. He's named there in verse 1. Joshua doesn't know it yet. They're about to go through this incredible process where the people, uh, where it will be revealed among the people who it is. Can you imagine that scene? But what, what I learned from this is that our sin has a ripple effect, and it affects our homes. My sin, my sin has an effect on my wife. My sin has an effect on my son and my daughter. My, my sin has a ripple effect on this church because I pastor and shepherd this church. My, my sin has a ripple effect that is far-reaching and it's, it's deeply damaging to me or to my family or to others. So is your sin. Israel has sinned. The, the whole community has been affected by this and now they are, are guilty. It's like uh, the other day when we were out eating and it wasn't a very good eating experience and here's why. You ever uh, bite into a piece of chicken and it's not fully done and it's like you're chewing, you just keep chewing and you just keep chewing. You ever had that before? Wor worse, I pull it out and here comes a hair with it. Do you like that? Yeah, happy lunchtime today, everybody. Enjoy that, all right? That's what I did. I hung in there with the chewing. When I got to the hair, I was like, I'm done. I'm out, right? So I don't go around saying, or I do go around saying this. That restaurant that will not be named <laughs> to protect the guilty, right? That restaurant, you know what they did? My meal was awful because of them, right? Don't ever go to them because of what they did. Now, here's the reality. It wasn't the sweet gal that took my order was incredibly helpful. She didn't do that. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, the lady in the drive-thru. It's not her fault. It wasn't the majority of people back there working. It wasn't the other managers who weren't there or it wasn't corporate oh, out of town. It wasn't their fault. But yet they were all guilty. How lump them together? Because that sin has a ripple effect. 
is deeply damaging and it's far-reaching. So too our sin does. Here's what we do, all right? We're awfully good at fooling ourselves. And we fool ourselves when we think that the sins that we wrestle with, the sins that tempt us, the sins that we fall to, when those sins, some of them are very, very secret and some of them are very, very out in the open. We fool ourselves when we think the secret sins of our heart have no impact on our witness, on our homes, and on this church. It does have impact. And because God's holiness is violated here by one man and the effects of that sin are going to reach into his house and into his community, God deals with this. Because God loves his community. And God loves his people. And God loves his mission. But God's holiness can't be violated. God's holiness must be taken into account in our lives. And so we come to a problem here. It's one man's sin. The whole community has been affected. So now the community must act. And I don't know about you, but just reading this passage to my ears, I told the first hour this morning, I don't know about you, but this is a heavy passage. I mean, here's one man, and here's what we know later on in the story. Here, here's, here's what he took. You ready? He, he took a garment. He, he took some clothes, and he took some silver, and he took some gold, and he went into his tent, and, and he buried it, and he hid it, and he concealed it. He didn't say anything. And um, so God reveals to Joshua, here's where you're going to have to deal with this. But, but here's the thing. Not only him, but his whole family is going to suffer the consequences of this. It says that later on in the passage, that as God deals with him, it is not only him, but his sons and his daughters, his family, his possessions, his his oxen, his sheep. It even says there at the end of chapter 7, even his tent and all that he has are going to be brought forward to judgment. And in that last paragraph, here's what they do. We don't have time to read it all. But here's what they do. They, they bring Achan out and they say, Achan, you're the one. Remember the process? By tribe, by clan, by household. And now it's just him. And Joshua looks at him and says, Achan, what do you, you're, you're the one. What do you say? And he confesses. It's a wonderful confession in verses 20 and, and 21, but it's a confession that was forced upon him. It wasn't a confession that was given voluntarily. And he finally says, yep, here's what I did. I took a garment, I took some silver, I took some gold, and I buried it under my tent. You can go and find it there. And sure enough, they go get it, and they bring it out, and they take him, and they stone him. I mean, this is, this is tough. They stone him, and they stone his family, and they stone his animals, and, and, and then they burn him. 
And, and, and the remains, the ashes and the stones that are there are a reminder of God's holiness and God's justice. It's a reminder that, that whether you say you associate with God or whether you don't, God's holiness can't be violated. And here is the reminder for the people there. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Thought number four this morning. In revealing our sin, God's character is displayed so that we might run to him and not hide. In revealing our sin, God's character is displayed so that we might run to him, not hide. Now, there's no more hope for Achan. He's done. God's holiness and God's justice meets right there. But for you and me, here's the incredibly good news this morning. And that is God's holiness and God's justice no longer falls upon you and me, but now falls upon Jesus. God's holiness and justice, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness for our sin now comes crashing down. His anger we saw it in verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. At the end of the chapter, the anger of the Lord goes away. Why did the anger of the Lord go away? Because the people dealt with it. The holiness of God, the justice of God met, and God was satisfied with that. Now the people can move forward. Now they can go forward forgiven, and now they can move into the promised land. And the very next chapter, God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. I am with you, Joshua. How can we do that today, though? It's found in Jesus. The holiness of God, the justice of God, the anger of God was poured out. The stoning, the, the burning, the making sure that people understand that God's holiness can't be violated is there on Jesus in your place and in my place. And so at Calvary, here is what we understand. At the cross, here is what we see. That instead of God revealing himself and our sin and revealing all of the things inside of us that you walk in this morning, that you're hiding, that you're nurturing, that you, that you are feeding, that you're expending a lot of energy covering up, that you're expending a lot of emotional energy on, that you're taking a lot of time throughout your life emotionally trying to manage sin. Do you realize this? When God comes and reveals that to us at the cross, our tendency is to hide from God, but what God wants us to do when he reveals his holiness and you go, oh my Lord and God, you're incredibly holy and our sin, I'm so wicked inside. I, I don't understand why I do what I do and the effect on my family. Instead of running from that, now God says, but wait, 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 wait. Don't run away. Run to the cross. Run to it. And there find mercy. And there find forgiveness. Because some of you cannot go forward in your marriage, in your home. Some of you can't go forward in that next step as we've been walking through this series called Fearless. And there's 
fear there. You can't go forward because you're afraid of your sin. You're afraid of your guilt. And now you're afraid of a holy God. But listen, listen. God wants you to run to him for mercy as you turn from your sin, as you confess it before him. And then he will go with you. And we see this incredible picture of mercy in the prostitute named Rahab, Joshua chapter 2. We didn't even, we didn't even touch on her story, but he, here's the insider, Achan. He's inside the camp. But the outsider is the prostitute who, when the spies come into Jericho, and the spies are looking for a place. They, they come upon her, her house. It's an inn or, a, or, or some sort of meeting place, but little did they know that it was a meeting place of a different kind, right? And um, she takes him upstairs, and here's what she says. I'll paraphrase here, Joshua chapter 2, all right? The insider, Achan, thinks he can compromise the holiness of God. The outsider, the prostitute, remember the Canaanites, them, the sexual immoral, the culturally depraved, the ones we don't want to be like. Well, guess what she does? Here's what she says. Your God's the only God, and we fear him, and we know he's on the move and on the march. So will you do this? Will you have mercy on me and on my family and on my house? Remember Achan? His sin results in his whole house being destroyed. But Rahab crying out for mercy results in the men saying, you bet. And when the walls come down, that line that, that they let the men out of the city and, and they were able to escape, they said, leave that line there. And when the walls come down, we want you to gather your whole household. Can you imagine this scene? Rahab telling them, hey, come to my house. You've got to come to my house. They're coming. They're coming. And when the walls come down, the people come into the city and they grab the household. I mean, sin, unrepentant sin over here results in the whole house being burned and stoned. Mercy through God's grace and through repentance and a heart that says, God, have your way with me results in the whole house being gathered up and the whole house being saved. It gets even better. They move within the community of Israel. She becomes part of the people of God to the point where Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus and the outsider prostitute who recognizes her sin is now in the line of the one who saves us all. How do you like that? That is grace. And that is mercy. And that is holiness when it all converges in the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity, as we did the first hour, to open up your heart before God. David Klein's going to lead it over in the other room. But this morning, I, I told the first hour, I, I came to church this morning. Just, I just admit to you, just incredibly heavy. And, and I think it's this text. And I think it's the holiness of God and sin 
But, but I want to offload that with you. Whatever that heaviness and that weight is. And maybe it's the weight for you, the people. Maybe it's my own sin. But if we encounter God in a way in which we expect him to meet with us and we confess and submit and respond to him, we're going to do it in a, in a special way right now. And we're just going to confess. We're not going to embarrass anybody, nobody. We're not going to ask you to stand up. We're not going to ask you to do anything like that. We, we're just going to, I'm going to get on my knees. I encourage you, if you're, if you're able to do so, if you want to do that, that's fine. You don't have to do that. And I, I'm just going to lead us in a directed time of prayer where every single one of us can come before a holy God and cry out for mercy so that we can move on, so that we can take the next step, and so you can't be afraid. Lord, as we come to this time now, would you, by your Spirit, work powerfully in both rooms? And we pray this prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Will you pray for your own heart this morning? Will you name the specific sins that hide behind the walls of your heart? The sins that are hidden from others, no one knows about them but you. Name them. Achan named his. Will you ask God to uncover any hidden sins you do not see? And will you say with God that these things, how we speak, our pride, our self-sufficiency, our anger, all those things privacy of our homes and in the privacy of our computers and the privacy of our minds all those things are not hidden from you father so we confess them because they violate your holiness our sins have hurt others and they damage our own hearts pray for your home. Will you ask God to move the family members in your home to cry out for mercy for their sin? Only a supernatural God could move some of your family members from where they are now to a place of repentance. Will you, will you pray that God would give mercy to your home, that he would bring restoration and that your sin and my sin 
against my wife and against my children and against my home would not cause great damage, but instead that our homes would receive mercy. God, have mercy on our families. May the ripple effect, oh, Father, may it not move any further than it has to save our children, our grandchildren. We confess our sin before you when it comes to our church. Would you name the personal sins right now that have brought division that bring discord, that bring disunity. And you know that hinder the mission of the church rather than building it up, rather than building up the people, rather than reaching the lost, would you confess that sin that wraps around your heart great impact on the church of Jesus Christ here at Taylor's. And then, Father, on this day, the 15th anniversary of, a, of an awful day, and in the spirit of Nehemiah, we confess our sins in the hope that you would revive our church and it would serve as the light for the gospel. We pray that God would have mercy on our community and our country. Would you protect us and would you give us an opportunity? Would you give us more chances? Don't throw away our country. Give us more chances, Father. Before your holiness moves in, would you give us opportunity to love and to serve and to lead in the difficult days we're in? Will you have patience with your church so that your church can be a light for the gospel in this country? Lord, please do it. Forgive us, Lord, when our community and our country cannot see in us the love of Jesus. Oh, Father, we confess our sins. I intercede on behalf of your people. And only by the blood of Christ can we find forgiveness and mercy and healing. So thank you. And we look to the cross. We look to your love we open up our hearts right now and pray that you pour in all that we need to take the next step forward. And Father, you are good. You are incredibly gracious. You've given us your son. And as we look to him, we praise you. And as we look to you and to him, forgiven and whole and well, because we have confessed and your people have come together to hear the word and respond to the word, you are incredibly kind to us. And so we sing about that now, and we praise you and we thank you for hearing our prayer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Will you stand with us now as we sing?